The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Now, with the one-year anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine already passed, uh, would stopping uh, the need for Russian energy imports completely hobble Putin's war effort? And with reports of Russia potentially running out of money next year, are sanctions having the desired effect? I'm joined now uh, by uh, Duncan Bolivant, who is the CEO of the Henderson Group and International Risk Management Advisory and by Senior Research Officer with the Economic and Social Research Institute, Niall Farrell. Good morning and welcome to you both. Uh, we'll go to you, Niall, first of all, just to get the situation in terms of the volume of Russian exports of oil and gas, how much is being bought uh, by Europe and how much is he peddling elsewhere? Morning, Pat. Uh, thank you for having me on. Um, so... In 2021, I suppose just to set the scene, about 80, 83% of natural gas was imported into Europe and about half of this came from Russia. Then over the period of 2022, as all the various um, changes in supply came into effect, Russian gas fell to comprise about 25% of our imports, about 10% of, of the total. And in to replace that, we had a lot more uh, liquid LNG gas coming in, gas imports. Uh, that's about around 25%. So um, in terms of how much Russian gas has been consumed, it's been it's it's, it's fallen by, by a considerable amount. Mm. Now, in terms of hobbling the, the war effort, do we know, based on the figures you've been looking at, where this gas and also petroleum products, where are they going? Are they being sold elsewhere on the cheap? Um, I suppose, like... <laughs> It's hard to sort of trace where the, the, this is going in terms of uh, the different products. But one thing we do know is the effect that it's had on maybe on, on the Russian budget. So but 40 percent of the federal budget in Russia uh, was going towards or, or was coming from uh, the sale of petroleum products. And there's a few bits of statistics that can be useful to try and understand how what effect this is having on, on the Russian budget. So. Um, there was, for example, EU EU embargo or EU uh, bans on on importing of, of coal and crude oil, and this, in conjunction with sort of price caps by the G seven countries, has led to Russia losing about 160 million euros a day. Um, in general, all fossil fuels comprise about one billion per day, or, or um, uh, so. By February 2023, then in total, with these different effects. It's fallen to about 640 million per day. So you can see that there's there is a considerable effect on the Russian budget from the figures that are going around at the moment. All right. So we don't know to what extent um, th- that would hobble their war effort because they can decide how they use their resources. But there's no doubt to continue the war, they need to continue to to either manufacture or buy uh, munitions and armaments. Um, so it, it would mean that the general Russian economy would suffer if they keep devoting the same amount of money to arms. This is it. Um these sort of effects are having a, have, would have a big effect on the economy, and there's a few sort of headline figures that can give us an insight into that. So, for example, before this conflict took off, the growth expectations for Russia would have been around three and a half percent rate of growth um, per annum. That fell, as more recent estimates around October 2022, to about 0.7 percent. So it's a huge, a huge shock to to, to, to the economy. Sanctions are having various different effects on, on economic activity. They're, it's harder to get access to finance for Russian firms. Imports are being restricted. Import of tech products. All these sort of effects are sort of limiting um, 
uh, economic activity, finance, or, or financial pro- uh, fin- access to finance is, is much more difficult. Um, whether it constrains the war effort or not depends on, I suppose, their priorities. This is they have less money going around in the economy, and then if they want to, if they want to keep devoting some of their finances towards the war effort, well, they'll have to cut back elsewhere, and that's that'll have a huge negative effect on, on the Russian people. Yeah, and that is the question, whether or not the negative effects, if they are attributed uh, to uh, the war itself, or whether Putin can successfully propagandize that has nothing to do with him. It's just being the West being mean towards uh, Russia. But still, uh, privations are bound to have uh, some political effect. Uh, anyway, look, thank you, Niall, for joining us. Niall Farrell is Senior Research Officer with the ESRI. Uh, Duncan Bullivant is listening to that conversation. Duncan, good morning. Good morning to you. I was reading a, a report that suggested, uh, this is now from the oligarch Oleg Deripaska, that uh, the sanctions are causing serious pressure, um, that Putin and his allies are putting pressure on oligarchs like himself to pony up some cash. Yes, indeed. And if you look at the uh, the origins of the current generation of oligarchs, there is a, a fairly, uh, Catherine Belton, by the way, wrote an extremely good book called Putin's People, which I would recommend to, to your listeners to read if they're interested, um, which traces this issue. And, and it, it goes back largely to, the, to the, the peculiar workings of the KGB and, 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 and then that became the FSB in as much that a lot of people were given access to make vast amounts of money, billions and billions of, 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 of dollars um, in, in certain cases on the basis that some of the money was theirs, but actually they were, they were holding on to this money for the state uh, as and when the state needed it. And there is a belief amongst the, most of the, the world's intelligence services that, that actually Putin and, and his cronies have got access to not just billions of dollars, but trillions of dollars that are being held around the world in, in, in a variety of accounts and, and in a variety of businesses. Clearly accessing that is, is, is easier said than done. But there is no doubt that, I mean, Derek Pascal is absolutely correct when he talks about the damage that is being done to, to, to the Russian economy. But you know, I think there's one particular story which is, which is fascinating, and that is that, that washing machines have now been added to the prescribed list of, of uh, exports that can be sent to Russia because what the Russians are doing is stripping out the microchips from the washing machines to try and use them for military purposes. Uh, so, you know, it, it is having a, a, an effect. The high tech end of of the sanctions is what's really going to hurt Russia. I think the issue over oil is very relevant. Oil is, you know, the export of crude oil is, is what drives the Russian economy. There's no doubt about it. But the problem is uh, there are backdoors. Russia, uh, Russia is exporting more now to, to, to Asia and South Asia. China and India have increased their import of oil. A lot of North African countries are taking a lot of, are taking a lot of Russian uh, crude and and refined products. So Russia will always find a market, even mm. even if it's even if it's an illegal market for it for its it, its its oil. But it, it's. High-tech end is, is what's being impacted yeah. the most of it. Uh, staying with oil for a moment, uh, the refiners uh, are the, they're independent uh, corporations, probably multinational corporations, and they buy their crude wherever they can at the cheapest price. I mean, is, is some of the petroleum products that make their way to the European market actually um, Russian oil disguised by passing through the hands of a third party like India? 
Uh, yeah, yes, it is. And it's even closer to home. I mean, the, the EU uh, bans have, have had an effect. There's no doubt about it. You know, the direct importation of Russian uh, crude is, is, is not permissible within, within the EU and it is having an impact. But, but there's still nothing stopping um, refineries based in Turkey, which is probably more, more, more relevant here, bringing in Russian crude uh, and, th and then selling that, selling that refined product on the open market. And I think you know, this is a massive loophole that has been identified both by member states in the EU, but also by the likes of Global Witness, who are very concerned that actually this loophole is, 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 is having a very significant impact on, on, the, on the ineffectiveness of, of sanctions. But I think in due course, refined product and, and origins of the crude is going to be uh, addressed, but it cannot be done. This is the, and this is the, the, the kicker here. This, this cannot be done overnight, because if it is, it is going to have a massive impact on, 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 the, on the global supply of oil, which again puts, puts the global economy on the back foot and, and would be an own goal. Now, the uh, United States particularly is determined to find uh, out which countries are facilitating uh, sanctions busting. They've mentioned by name the United Arab Emirates, they've mentioned Armenia, they've mentioned Turkey, they've mentioned China, Uzbekistan is another. Um, and it means that American companies that sell into these countries may actually suffer huge sanctions themselves at home. Yes, uh, and, and if, you, if you then look at the, the impact of, of the Biden administration's um, rather cryptically named IRA, um, the, the, the Inflation Reduction Act, which is basically going to put billions and billions of, of, of US dollars in, into the marketplace to support the development of alternative energy sources to support the move towards electric vehicles. If you look at the impact of that, which is basically going to favor U.S. businesses doing doing trades overseas, particularly in Africa, trying to get their hands on these on these key transitional minerals. You, the stage is being set here for quite a quite a quite a significant strategic scrap. And, and what I mean by that is that Russia has not been idle in the last 10 years in, in building diplomatic relations with countries around the world who have got a natural anti-Western bent. And this is not insignificant. It would be a huge mistake for the West to sit, especially uh, those of us sitting here in Europe, to believe that the majority of the world is, is, is against the Russian uh, aggression in Ukraine. It's, not, it's simply not true. You know, the facts are that the, co the coalition that has been stitched together by Russia, which includes the majority of African states, a large number of Latin American nations, India to a certain degree, lesser so, but still to a certain degree, and clearly China, have got, have got no interest in, in the West's uh, support of, of Ukraine, and in fact would rather see a, a, a fudge or, a, or a, um, a, a ceasefire or peace settlement that, that, that rewarded Russia as, as, as much as punished it. So this is this is very complicated. So Russia has got a market for its oil. It has got you know allies in in its war against Ukraine and its proxy war as it sees it against America, and it's a little bit more finely balanced than than I think a lot of Western commentators would have thought it would have been 12 months ago. 
Uh, finally, Duncan, um, the the uh, Ukrainians are up against it in the war at the moment in uh, trying to, to hold back more. Uh, it may fall. Yeah, I think you're going to see, I mean, Bakhmut at the moment is the, is the center of, of, of media attention. And, and I think there's a reason for that. And that is that it, it, it's a bit of a meat grinder for the Russians who have no compulsion whatsoever in, in wasting their own, the lives of their own uh, conscripts uh, up against a fairly weary and, and, and somewhat under-equipped um, U- Ukrainian defense. But I think, you know, that the, we, we've talked on and off over the last few weeks about the potential for a spring offensive. As and when that comes, you know, Ukraine has had a chance to, 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 to recoup ammunition. You know, the, the, the arrival of more long-range rocketry from the UK and from the US, the arrival, the slow but steady arrival of Leopard tanks and, uh, and, and, and tanks donated by, by other nations like the UK and their 14 Challenger tanks. You know, this will have an impact. It'll have a localized impact, not a strategic impact, but a localized impact. I, I think the idea that this thing is going to be over in the next few months is, is probably unrealistic. Russia is probably better positioned for a war of attrition than Ukraine. Ukraine's resources are, are limited. Uh, and Russia has, a moral, has no moral issue in terms of the... the the, the use of conscripts uh, in, in such large numbers. You know, they're, they're not a liberal democracy. So I think, I'm a, sadly, the stage is set for a, for a longer, bloodier, more protracted campaign than perhaps some had thought. Uh, but, but ultimately, it's too, it's, too, it's too close to call at the moment in terms of who's going to come out on top. Uh, it, it's, it's very uncertain at the moment. Duncan Bullivan, CEO of the Henderson Group and International Risk Management Advisory. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.